Liz Grace here. Before we start this episode, I'd like to state that soon after I finished the production of it, the universe brought to my attention that I mispronounced the leading star of the show's name, Ceres. I was watching an interview with Demetra George on the astrology podcast with Chris Brennan, and it was during this episode that I realized what I had done. In fact, I delayed the release of my podcast because of this error. And after some serious thought, I realized that I shouldn't be throwing away the baby with the bathwater. I'm proud of what I created, and I think you'll enjoy it as well. So here I am stating before the show starts that I vow to pronounce series as series and not Saris moving forward. I hope you all can forgive me and enjoy episode two mispronunciations and all. I will link the episode of the astrology podcast I am referring to in the show notes. Demetra George is a very knowledgeable individual, and I use her book Astroid Goddesses often in the crafting of these podcasts. Thank you for listening to my little disclaimer. I'm going to do my best to pronounce every god and goddess's name on this podcast. But if I do mess up, don't be afraid to let me know. All right, that's it. Let's start episode two, where we explore the mythology behind series. Hello, lovely humans. My name is Liz Grace, and this is Galactic Mythology. Today, we will discuss the goddess Ceres, and we will explore where she lives in space along with her mythology. We will end the show with discussing her relevance in a natal chart. Ceres is much more than a mere grain goddess, my friends. So let's dive in. The asteroid Ceres, colloquially in astrology, is actually categorized as a dwarf planet in science. She is, in fact, the biggest body in the asteroid belt, and she was the first to be discovered, being seen first by Giuseppe Piazzi in 1801. For those of you who have already listened to my Asteroid Origin Myths episode, also known as episode number one, that is repeat information. However, one thing I did not share in my first episode is that Giuseppe Piazzi is a Catholic priest, or rather was one at the time of Ceres' discovery. If you were to study the intellectual history of astrology and astronomy, you would find a lot of religious figures. For example, the popular Placidus house system used by many renowned astrologers of the day has its roots in the 12th century with a Hebrew astrologer named Abraham Ibn Ezra. In our modern 21st century, religion and astrology seem far away from one another and science and astrology seem even further. Though, in true occult spirit, I look to modern science to get a deeper understanding of astrology and to decode the symbols that it offers. In 2015, NASA's Dawn became the first spacecraft to visit Ceres. Dawn's visit revealed signs that Ceres could have, or still does have, subsurface oceans. I have provided a link in the show notes that goes into greater detail about these oceans, but I want to focus on the presence of water here. Ceres is a unique object in the asteroid belt and moreover in our galaxy because of her water content. Water implies life. Water is nurturing and essential. Basically, in 2015, NASA proved what astrology and mythology was already alluding to as far as the characteristics of Ceres. She is nurturing. She is a great mother spirit. Ceres is a cosmic womb 
existing between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. A cosmic womb. That's some beautiful symbolism inspired by science. Let's dive into the mythology and see what symbols we can get from it. Ceres is the Roman name to the goddess originally known to the Greeks as Demeter. Demeter in English translates to Earth Mother. Ceres is quite literally a mother to Earth, as well as a mother to her daughter, Persephone. And it is in the mythology of Persephone's abduction that we learn the most about Ceres. As the story goes, Ceres and Persephone had an ideal mother-daughter relationship. They would roam the earth together, tending to its soil and keeping it warm. During this time, humanity was living in a golden age. Food was abundant and the weather was infinitely nice. This golden age came to a screeching halt one day when Persephone wandered off into a blooming field of flowers. She was drawn to the scent of them, and when she followed her nose and bowed down to smell a flower, the earth suddenly began to shake and it cracked open. A golden chariot led by four screaming black horses sprang out of the hole and snatched up Persephone, dragging her down into the underworld. The cracked earth sealed itself back up and the blooming flowers took their shape again. There was no trace of Persephone and there was no trace of her abduction. The mysterious absence of Persephone triggers Ceres into an intense fit of rage. In a fury, she hits the road and begins an aggressive search for her daughter. For nine days and nine nights, Ceres vigilantly searched. She neglected her own hygiene and well-being. On the 10th day, Ceres encounters the wise goddess of witchcraft, Hecate, who suggests to Ceres to consult the sun god Helios, for he can see everything from up high. Ceres runs to Helios to consult him, and sure enough, he knows the whereabouts of Persephone. He reveals to her that her daughter was taken by Hades, also known as Pluto in astrology, down to the underworld. Helios also reveals to Ceres that her brother Zeus, Jupiter, encouraged the abduction, stating that Zeus thought Pluto would make a great husband to Persephone. Ceres, channeling the hatred for her brother through her body, decides to remove herself from Mount Olympus. She strips herself of her royal garbs and dresses in a dark and tattered cloak choosing to hide her goddess identity and live among the mortals. Ceres wanders to the city of Eleusis, where she happens upon four young girls at a well. These girls invite Ceres to their home, which turns out to be a royal palace, for these young girls belong to the King Celsius, the king of Eleusis. Ceres is met with open arms by the royal family, gaining the trust of Queen Metanira and quickly being asked to nanny the youngest son, Demophon. Ceres, embodying the great mother spirit, was an amazing nanny to Demophon. The child and her grew very close, though through it all, Ceres carried the heartbreak of Persephone on her shoulders. Out of the longing for her daughter, Ceres decides to turn Demophon into an immortal to be more in the likeness of her stolen Persephone. Ceres begins a ritual where she anoints the child daily and ambrosia, and at night she would place the child in the hearth of immortal flame. This is similar to the Isis and Osiris myth, 
where Isis is in mourning over her loss of Osiris, and she finds herself taking care of King Biblios's child. She too grows fond of the infant and decides to burn away the child's mortality. And what is about to happen to Ceres happened to Isis too. One night, while Ceres is burning the mortality out of young Demophoon, Queen Metanera walks in and sees her child being burned. Metanera screams and demands Ceres to stop. Ceres abides Metanera. She takes the child out of the hearth and then tears off her cloak to reveal her true goddess identity. She then demands that a temple be made in her honor so that she could teach the mortals her way. This is where the ethos of the Illusion Mysteries are born, as well as the ethos of the Isis Mysteries. I wish I had more time to discuss the Illusion Mysteries and the Isis Mysteries, but I've devoted this podcast to the mythos of Ceres, so let's continue with that. Ceres gets her wish. A temple is built in her honor. However, she is not happy. She goes into a massive state of depression. Or if she cannot have her Persephone or Demophoon, then the earth will have to suffer. Ceres hid away in the Illusion Temple for one solid year. One year where the crops did not grow and one year where the weather was terrifying and inhospitable to humanity. Zeus took notice of the suffering mortals and begged Ceres to come to Olympus to talk things out. But Ceres refused to speak with him or anyone he was associated with. Frustrated, Zeus calls upon Hermes, also known as Mercury in astrology, and asks him to go down to the underworld to demand Persephone to be returned to her mother. Once there, Hermes encounters a famished and lethargic Persephone, for she had been fasting, refusing food or drink during her entire stay in the underworld. Pluto, knowing the intentions behind Persephone's fast, vowed to let Persephone go with Mercury. But before she left, he tempted her with pomegranate seeds. The weak and eager to be nourished Persephone ate the seeds and damned herself to the underworld and to Pluto's hand in marriage. Persephone, not knowing what she had done to herself, rose up to the land of the light with Mercury and was taken to be reunited with her mother. Once reunited, Ceres eagerly asked if Persephone had ate or drank during her stay in the underworld. To which Persephone answered, Yes, mother, I have. I ate pomegranate seeds out of the hands of Pluto. Looking into her mother's eyes, Persephone realized what she had done to herself and collapsed to her mother's feet, the weight of her actions washing over her. (laughs) Ceres, enraged, yells to the heavens, I will renounce the mothership of this land and I will never return to the mortals again. This backstabbing behavior and trickery from Mount Olympus will not be tolerated. Zeus hears Ceres' call and quickly runs to Rhea, the mother of Zeus and Ceres. Zeus and Rhea then make a trip to Eleusis to confront Ceres and ask her to reconsider. Once there, Zeus proposes that Pluto and Ceres share Persephone. That way, there can be a time for the crops to come to harvest and for the soil to flourish and a time for life to slow down and rest. This is how the seasons are mythologically born through a deal between Zeus, Rhea, Ceres, and Pluto. A big compromise for the sake of making everyone happy, for the greater good, mortals and all. As well as a compromise that shows how important Ceres is to the livelihood of humanity. She is a goddess that teaches us how to nurture ourselves and others. 
She is also a goddess that takes us through the phases of life and death. As we followed Ceres through her heartbreak of Persephone, we come to accept the death of Ceres and the death of her daughter. And from this acceptance, a new beingness is born, the seasons. This in turn nurtures the land and its people the most because it keeps the greater balance of the dark feminine with the light feminine, also known as the crone and maiden archetypes. There's something to be gained in the underworld, something that we cannot see, but something that we can feel intrinsically when we understand its knowledge. All right, y'all, it's time to move on. We're done with the mythology, so let's figure out how we understand Ceres in a natal chart. When I look to Ceres in a natal chart, I am looking at how this person feeds their soul. For example, I have Ceres in Aquarius in the ninth house, conjunct the cusp of my 10th house. I am an extrovert. I gain a lot of nourishment from my interactions in community, although I am also someone who gains nourishment from her own autonomy. As much as I love group activities, I take joy in being an individual while participating. Ceres in my ninth house being conjunct my midheaven expresses itself through my curiosity and thirst in anything metaphysical and philosophical. I love exploring the macro to the micro subjects such as astrology and mythology. I also find that I gain a lot of wisdom from my interactions in the public sphere. When I put myself and my beliefs out there, I attract the right people at the right time. And these people tend to deepen me down my spiritual path. My astrological journey is a great reflection of my Ceres placement in the ninth house conjunct my midheaven. I have been fortunate enough to meet and work with many talented astrologers since I started my study in 2017. Simply because I've been making an effort to go to astrological conferences, take classes, and entertain discourse with strangers about the topics of astrology and occultism. I feel that I am serving my Ceres well by hosting this podcast and walking you through the various mythologies associated with astrology. This is only the beginning, and this is something that I intend to grow upon more and more. Thank you all for listening. If you have any insights or discoveries that you would like to share with me, you can get in contact via my website, www.galacticmythology.com. You can book an astrology reading with me there as well. And with that, this is Galactic Mythology. I'll catch you in the next one where we will discuss the asteroid Vesta.